so sing out with us, would you? Just as I am without one thing, Oh. Uh-huh.
way, man, those uh, boys and girls going down to Children's Church, you can slip out at this time. If you have your copy of the Scriptures, if you turn, please, to Matthew chapter 14, the Gospel of Matthew, the 14th chapter. And the Bible story we're going to look at today is the kind that kids love to hear in Sunday school, but I'm not sure it's the kind that adults love to hear about in church. As a kid in Sunday school, this story is a bit different. I mean, it's a bit strange, it has some violence in it, and it's even gory. And as an adult in church, the story is still violent and it's still gory, but it can be gut-wrenching, it can be convicting. You know why? Because it reminds us of a truth that we don't like to think about. It reminds us of a truth that we don't want to really focus on, and we'd rather forget it's the truth that following Christ is costly. Following Christ is costly. In fact, it can cost us our life. Following Christ can cost us our life. And if truth be told, we prefer a comfortable Christian life. We like it clean cut. We like it nice. And I mean, we're willing to sacrifice in in our own way. If someone's sitting in our seat on a Sunday morning and they're a guest, we come and say, well, you know, God bless you. I'm so glad to see you. I'll just sit over here, you know. You don't say that out loud, I hope, but in your heart you think that. Or, Or you pull in and your usual parking spot has a vehicle you haven't seen before and they didn't know any better and so you park somewhere else. Or, Or if it's a missions offering, I mean, you'll give a little something extra. If the air conditioning unit goes out at church, you'll dig a little deeper. I mean, we're willing to sacrifice in some areas uh, according to how we like to do it. But I mean to go all in for Jesus, to, to risk it all, to give it all, to, to lay it all on the line. Well, we're not so sure about that. Surely that type of Christianity is reserved for the heroes of the faith. And it's certainly reserved for those who have a lot more faith than we have. And then we come to stories like today's story. And we hear today's story, read it, and it makes us kind of shift in our seat a little bit. And it makes us kind of adjust our our collar a little bit. And and it makes us try to do something to take our mind off what we're reading, to kind of distract ourselves, because surely this is not something that God might have in my life. And I only bring all this up because we're going to spend a little bit more time, one last time, with our man John the Baptist as we've been studying his life together. And as we find John, as we visit with him today, the prison bars have clanged shut behind us and we're led down a dark path. And the sights, the smells, the sounds that we experience, well, just to be quite honest with you, they're awful. So we make our way down this long, narrow path. We, our eyes begin to focus and adjust and there he is the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Himself, John the Baptist. We're not real certain how long He's been in this cell. In all all honesty, He doesn't look that great. But praise be to the Lord, He hasn't lost His faith. He hasn't renounced His faith. He's been strengthened by that Word, that message that the Lord Jesus sent to Him by His disciples. We studied last time. And as we take a seat there near John the Baptist in these horrific conditions, and we're talking with him and conversing with him, as we're there, we begin to hear footsteps coming down that long hall, and there are voices. And then as we look up, those men, they stop at John's cell door, and they open the door. And to our horror, and to our disbelief, 
right in front of our eyes, they take John, they cut his head off, they put his head on a platter, and they leave us there staring in disbelief at what has just happened. John the Baptist is no more. At least not here. Now we fast forward some time in the story. And Herod hears about Jesus. And Herod, that cruel ruler, he's convinced that Jesus is is really John the Baptist come back to life. John the Baptist raised from the dead. And beloved, the the story I just shared with you, except for our literally being there with John the Baptist, that is not a make-believe story. That's not a made-up story. Those things actually happened to John. I want to read it from the Scripture. And I want to see with you today what happened to the great John the Baptist. We could go to Mark chapter 6 and study it there. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, I'll begin reading at verse number 1. It says, At that time Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus. He heard about Jesus. And Herod said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. And therefore these powers are at work in him. And then we have kind of a flashback, if you will, in the story. Kind of lets us know what has happened. A literary flashback. Verse 3. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had said to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And although he, that is Herod, wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him, that is John the Baptist, as a prophet. Verse 6. But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Therefore he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. In fact, Mark says, up to the half of his kingdom. So she, having been prompted by her mother, said, Give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. And the king was sorry. Nevertheless, because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given to her. So he sent and had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Verse 12 says, Then his disciples, that is John's disciples, came and took away the body and buried it and went and told Jesus, When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. This seems like such a tragic ending to such a great man and a great life. John the Baptist lost his head at the whim of a diabolical woman and her dancing daughter. And it's these types of stories that cause some people to question the goodness of God. It's these types of stories that cause some people to question the wisdom of following God 
and the value of standing for what you believe in in the first place. I mean, look at what it cost John. John was in prison because he had said, what you're doing is not right. He was in prison because he stood for the truth. And it cost him his life. When you begin to think like those people that maybe I shouldn't follow Christ or it's not worth following Christ or God is not good or God is not powerful or why didn't God help, I want to remind you that's an incredibly short-term view of things. An incredibly short-term view of things. I want to remind you, as we talked about, I think it was the last time we studied, I want to remind you that today Herod and Herodias are burning in hell. And John the Baptist is enjoying the glories of being with Jesus, whom he loved and served. So I thought about this passage and how to handle it. I knew it was coming. I mean, you really can't study a person's life and just say, well, we're going to just pause here and we're not going to finish it. We have to finish it. And I knew this was coming. I knew I was going to have to stand and preach about John's beheading. And I've been wrestling with, how do I handle this? What do I do with this? I don't think you need a three-point outline on what happens here. I think it's pretty straightforward what happens. I mean, it's a story. We understand what happens. We, we see how it plays out. We understand. The question is, what do we do with it? And as I studied this, as I wrestled with it, as I, look, as I looked at it, I began to drop down some lessons that we can learn from this account in John's life. I started out, I jotted down seven lessons. And then I kind of worked on it some more and I, I combined some and narrowed it down and decided to leave some out. And I came up with four lessons that I want to share with you today from this story. I mean, this is not a story you're probably going to automatically go to in times of trouble, in times of difficulty. You're probably going to run to the Psalms and pick up Psalm 23 or, or some other passage. You're probably not going to run to Matthew chapter 14 or Mark chapter 6 and read the story of John the Baptist's beheading. But the Scripture records it and all Scripture is profitable for us. And God has a purpose in telling us this story. So I want to give you four lessons I would encourage you to jot these lessons down. Especially the day in which we're living. Especially in the time in which we're facing. The very first lesson I want to remind you of today from this story is this. Some people don't care about the truth. Some people don't care about the truth. Herod and Herodias didn't care to hear the truth. They really didn't care about right or wrong. And there are some people that as you share the truth with them, they don't care to hear it. They don't want to hear it. In fact, many people hate the truth and some people will hate you for telling them the truth. And that's exactly what happens here with John. He told Herod and Herodias that what they were doing was unlawful, it was wrong, it was sinful, they ought not to be doing it, it was wrong. He was not shy about it, he was not um, you know, hiding it, he just... Bluntly told them, what you're doing is wrong. He's speaking on behalf of the Lord. And they didn't throw a party for John. They didn't say, oh, way to go, John. We thank you for correcting us. No, they didn't throw a party for him. They threw him in jail. And in fact, Herod would have killed him, but he was too afraid of the crowd. And Herodias, she just let it seethe within her. She was so angry. She was so seething mad. She wouldn't let it die until she saw John die. That's how much she hated him. I think it's an important truth that we as believers need to remember 
as we seek to share the truth in love, as we seek to live the truth in our lives, as we seek to share the teachings of Christ, is that not everyone is going to be thrilled with us. Not everybody's going to be happy when you share the truth with them. But we've got to remember this, beloved. We're not responsible for a person's reaction when we share the truth. We're not responsible for their response when we share the truth. The Bible tells us we're to speak the truth in love. And what happens many times is we speak the truth in love and the chips fall where they may, but sometimes we get a receptive response and someone appreciates or they're changed by the truth, but sometimes we get a hateful response. Sometimes we get an angry response. There might even be people that, are, that avoid you when they see you coming because they're afraid what you might say or what you might do that might make them feel uncomfortable because some people don't care about the truth. And Herod and Herodias did not care about right or wrong, about truth. They cared about themselves, what they wanted to do, and they decided we'll do away with John. Which brings me to a second lesson. And it's this. Some people are wicked to the core. Some people are wicked to the core. I'm well aware that all of us are sinners. Every one of us. All of us, even the most mature Christian seated in this room right now, we all began as wicked sinners. Sin impacted us to the core. In fact, the Bible says that, that we were dead in our sin. I mean, we were hopeless. We were helpless. We were doomed in our sin. We were sinners by nature and sinners by choice. We were dead in our sin. For the majority I'm speaking to you right now, praise be to the Lord, the Holy Spirit, shown the glorious light of the Gospel into your life, awakened you to your need of Christ and your simple condition. You turned from your sin and repentance and placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And you were forgiven. And if you've never done that, can I encourage you today, as God the Holy Spirit awakens your eyes and your minds and your understanding and you realize that you're sinful through and through and you're lost and you're condemned, can I encourage you today to repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ? All of us start out that way. And even as Christians, we still struggle with sin. That's why we have 1 John 1.9 today. That's addressed to Christians. And we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're not sinlessly perfect, practically speaking here. But there are some people who are lost in their sin and they decide <laughs> that they are not just going to be sinners. They're going to be some of the best sinners around. And there are those who are wicked to the core. They don't just sin, they revel in their sin. They boast in their sin. They parade around in their sin. They flaunt their sin. They get other people to join in on their sin. And we see that all the time in our culture. As they revel and glory in their sin. And Herod and Herodias, they were wicked to the core. In fact, one that I read said Herodias might have only been second to Jezebel. Now imagine being in that company. You almost made it. Jezebel beat you, but you came in second place when it comes to being wicked. I mean, look, this lady, and I hesitate to even call her a lady. Let's call her a woman. This woman, look at how wicked she was. 
She was not only involved in a sinful relationship with Herod, she then went and used her daughter to dance before Herod, her unlawful husband, in a way to kind of trick him into giving her what she wanted, which was really for him to butcher an innocent man. And why did she want John the Baptist dead? Because he dared to tell her the truth that what you're doing is wrong. She says, we'll see about that. And she was wicked to the core. Which is a reminder today, beloved, that sin is real and sin is deadly. We, we kind of treat sin like a, a, a pet you know, snake, a garden snake. And we have it and we play with it and we like it and we put it in the aquarium and we take it out and scare people with it. And we, we play with sin like that. And we don't realize, listen, that's not a pet garden snake. It's a king cobra that you're playing with. And it's deadly. And it's going to kill you. We forget how wicked and evil sin is. Were it not for the grace of God, we'd still be in our sin. And although as believers we still sin, God has delivered us from the penalty of sin. God has delivered us from the power of sin. We don't have to sin. We choose to sin as believers. And one day God's going to deliver us from the very presence of sin. What a day that will be. But there are some people who are lost in their sin and they revel in it. And they are wicked to the core. And that was Herod. And that was Herodias. And because you have people like Herod and Herodias, and by the way, people like Herod and Herodias are still around, the third lesson is the one we really don't like. We're okay, you know, with the, okay, they don't like truth. And we're okay, we're saddened by the fact that they're wicked to the core. But we don't like the third lesson, that following Jesus may, it may get you killed. Following Jesus may get you killed. Now the Bible says that all of us as believers are called to die to self and take up our cross and follow Jesus. We should do that daily. We're supposed to do that. We're to die to self, surrender and follow the Lord Jesus. Take up our cross and follow Him. But I'm talking about in a real sense. Following Jesus could get you literally, physically killed. What about our brothers and sisters this morning who are in Afghanistan right now? The Taliban is running around in total control. Nobody interrupting them. Nobody holding them back. What about our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan today? What about our brothers and sisters in the Sudan? What about our brothers and sisters in North Korea? What about our brothers and sisters in various places throughout the world? Literally living each day under the threat of not only harm and persecution, but literal death. Following Jesus may get us killed. It's costly. And the Bible warns us about that. It tells us that. In fact, it tells us very bluntly that if you follow Jesus, you shall suffer persecution. 
Yet we've lived here in the greatest nation in all the earth and, and we have just enjoyed freedom for so long. And yet as we look out, do we not even see the tide in America turning against us? Do you not see it almost on a daily basis? They don't like those of us who say, listen, there's absolute truth. The Bible says they don't care about the Bible. Well, the Bible says that's wrong. That's wrong for you, maybe not for me. Don't go shoving your stuff down my throat. Some people don't care about the truth. And what they want to do is not only to silence us, they want to shame us. They want to mock us. They want to hurt us in various ways. In fact, there are those, I'm convinced, that literally try to hunt down believers who stand for truth and do things that are right. And they, they hunt them down and they begin to say, oh, there's one there. Let's sue them. Let's destroy them. And I'm not talking about in Afghanistan. I'm talking about in America. I'm talking about in our land. We've got to remember that truth is not popular and the truth of the Bible offends. The Gospel offends. Why? Because the, the Gospel says, you are a sinner, I am a sinner. And the reason it offends is because we have to be offended, we have to be awakened, if you will, to our need in order to place our faith in Christ as our Lord and Savior alone. And we see the tide turning in so many areas, in so many ways. And I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where we are. It seems like it's very rapidly progressing. And in just since the pandemic has begun, we've looked at things, we've watched things take place. And I don't know if we're going to face in America a day where it will literally cost us our life. We know that it has happened. Think of the young lady back when I was in high school and lost her life in the school shooting. But will there come a day where we literally could face not only persecution, because a lot of our persecution now, we were to put it on a persecution scale. It's real. It's not imaginary. But what is it now? It's, it's mocking. It's shaming. It's hurting financially. It may cost you a job. It may cost you a promotion. It may cost you a good grade with a professor. I mean, there's ways that we're being persecuted. But if we were to put it on a scale, say maybe one is that and ten is losing your life, I don't know where we are and what time frame we're talking about. But could there be a day we move from the one or two or three we're at now to a ten where literally someone is standing over us with a gun pointed at us or a blade over us and says to us, renounce your faith in Christ or die. I don't know where we are in that. But I know the way, way a lot of us think, I, I believe. We read a story like this, we think about that, and, and there's a fear that wells up within us. And I think it's the fear that we, we think this way, and I think we're very accurate in thinking it. I don't know if I could, if I could hold out. I really don't know what I would do if someone was holding a gun to my head and said, either renounce your faith in Christ or die. And we have that fear, I believe, and I think it's a genuine fear that we would fail Jesus. We would renounce our faith or we would deny Jesus. And we wouldn't go through with standing for Christ. And can I just remind you that um, that's probably a legitimate 
thing in our life right this moment. You know why? Because as has been taught for many years, you don't get dying grace until you're dying. In other words, at this very moment, we probably would fail miserably just talking about it. But if God were to bring us to that point where we literally were facing down the barrel of a gun, in that time of need, God can give us the grace and the help and the strength and the courage that we need. Right now, we're not facing that. So what do we need to be doing? We need to be, we need to be building ourselves up in our most holy faith. We, we need to be in the Scriptures. We need to be praying. We need to be sharing the Gospel. We need to be speaking the truth in love. We need to be leaning hard on Jesus. Building up our faith. And then rest in the fact, listen, if you ever find yourself in that situation, if I ever find myself in that situation, God is faithful and God will give us the grace and the courage and the help that we need. We don't need to spend our time worrying about what we might do. We need to spend our time following Jesus now and trust Him every step of the way. And if that day comes, I'm convinced that He gave that, that, that courage to John. We see in the Scriptures He gave it to Stephen. Stephen's one of the first deacons. By the way, we, we, we uh, ordained deacons with that last week. Being a deacon can get you killed. No amens on that? Uh, it can. He was one of the first deacons, one of the first martyrs, Stephen, right? It cost him his life. And yet we find him what? He, he, he's faithful to the Lord in the midst of that. I'm convinced that John the Baptist who preceded Stephen, I'm convinced that God gave him the grace and the courage that he needed to stand. We see it in the church history. We see it in other places. God gives the grace and the courage that is needed right now, though, we don't need to be worried about that. We need to walk daily with Christ, building ourselves up in our faith. But to follow Christ is costly. It will cost you in some way. It may cost you a friendship. It may cost you, as I said before, a job, a promotion, whatever it might be. But I want to encourage you with this truth today. It is so worth it to follow Jesus. To stand for Jesus. He'll give you the grace that you need. There's a fourth lesson. When I tell it to you, it may make sense or it may not. If it doesn't make sense, I'll explain it. So I looked at this story. So I looked at John the Baptist. I looked at the ending. I was reminded that life is not a Hallmark movie. Life is not a Hallmark movie. How many of you watch Hallmark movies? Let me see your hands. Oh, I thought so. You all know what I'm talking about. For those who don't watch Hallmark movies, let me explain my point. In the Hallmark movie, the guy always gets the girl, the girl always gets the guy, and in the end, they live in an idyllic setting happily ever after. That's a Hallmark movie. Why do we watch Hallmark movies? Two reasons. Number one, they're clean. And number two, we like happy endings. Daniel and I are watching a movie this past week. We watched, it was, I think it was a Hallmark movie, wasn't it? It was about a pecan, or pecan if you're cultured, a pecan tree farm. That's what it was about. 
And it, it rekindled the romance, an old high school romance, which they love to write in the Hallmark movies. And she comes back to town and he's in town and they used to date in high school and, you know, one thing led to the next. And we were not far into that movie and uh, we knew how it was going to end. I mean, we already knew the plot line. We didn't know every little detail, but we already knew they're going to get together and they're going to end up with the farm. In fact, it was so predictable. It was a fine movie. It was so predictable. At one point, I literally blurted out, they need to burn down the barn. They need to burn down the barn. I told Danielle that. They need to burn it down. Add some twist. They were painting the barn. They need to burn that baby down and bring some realness in this movie. And they can still get the farm, but at least burn the barn down. Because, you know what? In real life, the barn does burn down. In real life, the guy doesn't always get the girl. In real life, there's not always a happy ending in real life. In real life, things don't resolve very quickly right before the credits roll. Let me consider John. John here, the, John the Baptist. Jesus said of those born of women, none up to that point it were greater than John the Baptist. And yet I look at his life here. Here he is unjustly imprisoned. Here he is brutally killed. Here it is, the bad guys win! Herod and Herodias are parting as John's head is severed from his shoulders. This is more of a Downton Abbey script than a Hallmark movie for sure. I mean, there's some real life about this, isn't there? Because this is where we live. It's where we live. We want John freed. We were writing this. If we were writing the script, we want John. John is busted out of prison. John and his disciples, they, they go in there. You know? They overthrow Herod and Herodias. They take over the kingdom. They preach and everybody's saved. And the credits roll. That's not what happened. It's not what happened at all. We're looking for a happy ending and all we're left with is a decapitated bloody head. The bad guys won. But remember what I said earlier. That's an incredibly short-term view of things. An incredibly short-term view. Why? Because Herod and Herodias are burning in hell this morning. And John the Baptist is enjoying glory with Jesus. See, this was not the end of John the Baptist. This was not the end. Earthly life, yes, but not the end of John the Baptist. John is with Jesus right now. Did you notice what verse 12 said? I've got to wrap this up. But verse 12 was very interesting. It says that then his disciples came and took away the body and buried it. And went and told Jesus. Think about these disciples. They're there. They had followed the teachings of John the Baptist. Probably been baptized by him. They were disciples of John. And there they are. They come and they pick up what remains of John. His, his headless, bloody body. And they take it. And, and they, they go and they bury it. And with it, they may have buried their, I mean, their hopes and their what they thought was going to happen. And... But I love it says that they went and told Jesus. They went and told Jesus. And that's what we have to do when life crumbles around us. When life crumbles around us, we need to go and tell Jesus. 
When our hopes are buried, we need to go and tell Jesus. When others are seeking to harm us because we believe and follow Jesus, we need to go and tell Jesus. And as we do, beloved, can I just remind you that He will help you. He will give you strength. He will give you grace. He will mature you. You see, John the Baptist did not die in vain. The martyrs who give their life for Christ, they do not die in vain. It's not over for them. The Bible is very clear that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I mean, think about John. He being dead yet speaketh. All these years have passed and it's not over. Right now, we're being encouraged. We're being helped. Why? Because John was faithful to do what God called him to do. And it wasn't a happy ending here, but let me tell you what, it's the happiest ending you can ever imagine when you open your eyes and you're with Jesus. So I was preparing this message and thinking about how to land the plane and bring us home. A song flashed into my head. It's an old song. But it began to play in my mind. I went and looked up the lyrics. It's so fitting for John's life. It's so fitting for us. Sometimes the day seems long. Our trials hard to bear. We're tempted to complain, to murmur and despair. But Christ will soon appear to catch His bride away. All tears forever over in God's eternal day. Remember the chorus? It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glance of His dear face all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. At times the sky seems dark with not a ray of light. We're tossed and driven on. No human help in sight. But there is one in heaven who knows our deepest care. Let Jesus solve your problems. Just go to Him in prayer. Life's day will soon be o'er. All storms forever pass. We'll cross the great divide to glory safe at last. We'll share the joys of heaven 
a harp, a home, a crown. The tempter will be banished. We'll lay our burdens down. Sing the chorus with me, would you? It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of His dear face all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Father, I want to thank You for men like John the Baptist. Men who do exactly what You call them to do for as long as You call them to do it until You call them home. Lord, we don't know what we're going to personally face here. But we're confident today knowing that we never stand alone. You will never leave us nor forsake us. And so, Lord, I pray today You would help us to stand. I pray for our children and students in school. When it's the decision to be made, just as simple as, am I going to ask the blessing over my meal today? Am I not going to partake with the crowd today? Am I not going to go and do that thing because I know it would dishonor Christ? And they face rejection. And they face ridicule. And they face bullying. And they face all sorts of things. Would you give them the courage to know that it's worth it? my brother or sister who finds himself on the job and their superior asks them to do something that's immoral or unethical or even illegal and makes it very plain that if they don't do it, they'll not be employed there anymore. And fear overwhelms them. Would you give them the courage to stand for Christ? knowing that you're in control and knowing it is worth it. And Lord, as our own nation goes further and further away from you and it becomes more and more costly to preach Christ, to share Christ, and to live for Christ. Would you give us the courage, Lord, to stand for you knowing that it's worth it? And Lord, should you call any of us to a time in our life 
where our life is literally on the line for Jesus. Father, we trust that you'll give us the courage and the strength to stand and say, I will not deny Jesus. What a day it's going to be, Lord, when we do see you face to face. Even so come, Lord Jesus. I want to give you a moment while your heads are still bowed and your eyes are closed. Daniel, if you just begin playing. I don't know what Jesus is speaking to you about, the Spirit speaking to you about today. But I sense His presence in an overwhelming way in this room. Do business with Him there in your seat. You come to the altar, whatever He leads you to do. But I want to just give you just a moment or two.